0: City. Now, I am not Shy married, city. but I don't think it's difficult to understand that at some point in every marriage, personal or professional, there are some rocky times that hit. And here in the Lions 24-7 podcast, we have arrived at those rocky times. Sean has left me. He has left this week's Friday episode going into Northwestern to be in Colorado And have some fun and drink some beer. And he didn't even bother to leave a box of Kleenex behind. So here, shortly after our one-year anniversary together, uh, I am going to see some other people and test some different waters. And hence, we have some two guest hosts here. Unaware of the intro, I just unspooled there, who are joining me now, to Penn State beat writers, John McGonigal of the Center of Daily Times, Audrey Snyder of DK Pittsburgh Sports, here to talk Penn State football with yours truly, Andrew Callahan, Sean says he will return, we'll see how that works out, uh, I think we have some therapy scheduled ahead, you guys don't care about that though. Not really. really. Welcome to the podcast. You
1: swiped right and got us. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. A lot of fun here playing on the Friday episode. We're going to go through the normal rundown, tweet of the week, quote of the week, talk some recruiting very briefly without Sean, uh, when Penn State has the ball, when Northwestern has the ball, our typical 3-2-1 preview of the game, mailbag questions, and then wrap it all up. But uh, you guys, you know, we deal so much with the minutiae here in the podcast where there's my X and O stuff, Sean's recruiting and a lot of the details, but I think I, I want to start with some big picture questions about the season today because we're about to hit the bye week at that point all of us are going to do kind of season and review to date uh topics and pieces take a few days off yeah but but let's do that right now through five weeks what is the most interesting thing about this penn state season that you've seen today
1: you know, I'm going to say it has to be this pass defense, and I say that, Andrew, because I guess coming into this year, we all had questions about the defense. We all said, okay, you know, the defense events, what are they going to have there? Uh, but looking at it and the turnovers that they created, we all know there was such a point of emphasis in the offseason. Right. Uh, but the fact that they have seven picks from five different players, I mean, that to me shows that you've got a lot of playmakers here. Um, and the fact that they have seven fumble recoveries and they've forced eight, so it's really been the turnover and kind of the the pass defense in there to me that's been a very pleasant
0: surprise. Kind of kept their promise there because every, everyone wants to force the turnovers in August. It's a matter of what you do in September. Right. Exactly. I mean, they were
2: working the jugs machines like they were wide receivers all offseason yeah. during the spring, fall, summer. So that coming to fruition has you know been an interesting development for me. I'd say the surprising level of disappointment from at least some fans that I've you know read and heard in, in Trace McSorley's play. Is the most interesting thing about Penn State season so far, you know, on Twitter, message boards, you know, a lot of other places, you know, just a lot of frustration with McSorley. And sure, yeah, he had a, he had a rough game against mm-hmm. Pitt. He had a rough start, you know, against Indiana. But I mean, the guy has accounted for 15 total touchdowns. He, his completion percentage is around 66 percent through five games. You know, he's done what you've asked him to do. You know, at the end of Iowa, winning that game, they're five and zero. They're five and zero. Like, yeah. and he's
0: been really bleeping good.
2: Yeah, he's been yeah. really good. Like, come on, guys. Like, you know. He ended the Indiana game. He was 11 of 16 for 215 yards and a touchdown. Like, what? What else more do you want? Two minute drive against Iowa. I, I and it was That's all him. It was sixty, yeah. It was like 68 passing yards, and then the 12 rushing yards were him scrambling for a crucial first down. Yeah. So he's had a really good start, and I, I don't think he's getting enough credit for it. To be honest,
0: uh, I think for me, it's just been the whole handling of Saquon Barkley. I mean, I think we all knew mm-hmm. a special season was ahead for him, but you didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest or translate. And we had a big surprise in the first couple of weeks where Miles Sanders. Is he's discussed he's listed on the depth chart as their number one kick return in an area they wanted to improve lo and behold he hasn't taken one all season Barkley is back there he's also seen his, his usage in the passing game double um, compared that's to the previous huge. two years he's been a real weapon there and of course leads the FBS in all purpose yards so while you expected a great season from him the way they have really relied on him as I think they should have had been really interesting and of course we had a couple weeks back chatting with Charles Huff about you know what's the biggest misconception you have it's like oh when people think he's at injury risk like yeah. returning kicks <laughs> yeah. he's like that's just nonsense, and here's why. And you know, we all wrote about that afterward. But it's been really interesting to see them, you know, use him at a really, you know, high rate in all, you know, in two phases, uh, and to see him produce as you would expect, because that's ultimately what this team is going to need if it wants to get to where it wants to go. Is rely on that guy who is arguably the best player in the country in some areas that certainly oh, don't yeah. match up to an Alabama yeah. uh, or a Clemson. So moving forward, tweet of the week has nothing to do with Saquon Barkley. Quote of the week does. So we'll start with quote of the week. This comes courtesy of Todd McShay and you hear these things floated around every once in a while a couple weeks back we had uh, a tweet related to you know Saquon's better than Ezekiel Elliott according to five NFL draft executives for McShay he said quote I think Saquon is the most complete back since probably Adrian Peterson it's a popular yeah.
2: thing these days is is just heaping praise on Saquon right. we just, just keep going totally the back bad. in the record books like exactly. Barry Sanders you you
1: know, know. who yeah. I, I watching the Rams last week Todd Gurley it it was watching Gurley is is like watching Barkley to me that was kind of I've been all about the Ezekiel Elliott comparisons but then watching Gurley Gurley had some crazy moves, some hurdles, and I have no idea why I was watching the Rams to begin with, but I was. Um, and just watching that, to me, I was like, you know, that's another NFL comparison that yeah. certainly this guy warrants.
2: And Gurley's a guy who loves Barkley. He's tweeted several right. times, yeah. you know, praising the kid. And I mean, it's definitely warranted. It's absolutely warranted.
0: And I think too, honestly, I would go further back than Peterson because you know that's a Hall of Fame running back. But in terms of completeness, I don't think you would put that as one of his strengths necessarily. Like when you're scouting yeah. him, you're going to have a difficult time tackling him he's going to run away from you, but he's really not that involved in the in the passing game. Certainly not with the Saints now, and really wasn't over his Vikings nah, career. Nah. You look at Barkley, the kid literally can do it all, and that is the number one thing you have to watch for. Patrick Gerald's saying this week, you know, he's probably the best player I've ever seen on film, and that's because he has no weak point. He doesn't even have any good points. Yeah. They're all
2: great. Which is why I kind of like the Gurley comparison, because now the Gurley's in, to- in, um, in Sean McVay's offense are mm-hmm. using him more as a receiving back, and you're seeing that come through, and that, that, that complete back, you know, c- kind of just Role is is you know they are very, very similar to what Barkley has. They
1: could both have a spot on my fantasy team any day. Yeah, I'll put that yeah up.
0: that's for sure. Well, that's something we all want to hear about. Now. <laughs> right behind you know our, our golf games, is fantasy team. That you that's know right. guy talking about his fantasy team anywhere in any office is the worst. Uh, what it was not the worst. So tweet of the week. This comes just on Wednesday, courtesy of Alex Colley of WTAJ. We all get a glimpse of practice. Yesterday's practice was very different. We've come to know Wednesdays are apparently white boy Wednesdays for that's the music right. selection. Yep. This this involved um, some Phil Collins yesterday. So in the air tonight, don't pretend at home that you don't do the drum solo in there, because if you don't, then you are not like Tommy Stevens, who Colley caught on film doing the drum solo as he is walking to the line of scrimmage, presumably yeah. making some sort of check and some eleven-on-eleven 11 work. And he said, "Quote: When you're running the at Penn State football offense in practice, but you also have to hit the in the air tonight air drum solo at Tommy Stevens." Hashtag talent. Great tweak as it is. This got picked up by Penn State players. It got picked up by James Franklin himself. Um, Tommy Stevens doing the damn thing. And you can see Andre Robinson in the background, too. Yeah. He's and Barkley as well. Yeah. Yeah. Barkley
1: hits now, the solo, too. It's awesome.
2: The first thing that I thought of when I saw Tommy Stevens just hit hit the drum solo, all I could picture was Mike Tyson in the hangover <laughs> hitting the drum <laughs> solo before he punches Zach Alfinekis right in yeah. the face. And, but it was perfect. It was right on cue. And Andre Robinson in the background with you know his legs were right and beat, too. That was, and, it was, it was I pretty think
1: funny. that speaks to just how loose this team is this week And yeah. to me We saw They were all dancing During our 10 minute availability Mark Allen was loving Him, him some Smash Mouth
2: he, he loves Smash Mouth
1: But we haven't seen them That loose And James Franklin On Tuesday At his weekly press conference Was really joking Back and forth With the media I don't think We've ever seen him I've never seen him In a better
0: mood Than he was on Tuesday Yeah he's been in good moods This season generally But yeah. that was probably The best I've seen In my year yeah. plus Steadily covering the team
1: I mean I think There's something to that I mean this team's loose They're having fun They're 5-0 Sure, part of that's probably that the bye week's coming up. They're all sensing a little bit of a break. Um, But to me, that was obvious this week when we went to practice and everybody was just having fun, being light about it. So definitely something to keep in mind there.
0: Something else to keep in mind Recruiting never stops Right now there's a little bit Of a lull Sean normally would fill This segment with You know a two or three Minute uh, monologue But he's passed on some notes There as follows two or three beers. Yes yeah. <laughs> Right now anyway uh, All of your dreams Are going to come true All of the commits are coming There is space for everyone Not to worry there Clearly a joke Thanks, because Because right now He would jump in And then also jump on me For saying that uh, <laughs> But you know I, I think the only Real notable news here From the last week Is that Quanto reigns A Penn State target Safety out of Aliquippa He set his decision date for October 30th. Long been forecasted to Pitt or West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Penn State, you know, still in the mix there. Uh, He's visited relatively recently. And then you're looking at Micah Parsons, you know, will be at Nebraska. And really with the last couple spots that Penn State has, which it's always in flux, but there really is no room for this class, it's going to go to a defensive end, whether it's Parsons, whether it's Tyreek Smith, um, you know, uh or Jason Owens.
1: Yeah, and I think that's get ready, Michigan week. That's always the big visiting week for all of the uh, the whiteout games, so certainly that'll be packed. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to see where they are at with this class and just the numbers at this point i mean they they don't have the space i mean that's yeah. the thing it's but what a good spot for Penn State to be in you know You can turn away good players, which certainly speaks to just how far this program
2: has come. Right. Turn away elite great players, players. yeah. 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 And building what you mentioned there, Audrey, with the Michigan game, that's going to be such a huge weekend for Penn State. That's what convinced Sa- Saquon Barkley a few years ago was that Penn State yeah, Michigan right. night game, the four overtimes, obviously, just the, the, the crazy atmosphere there. So, if, if there's any game that'll convince a commit to come to Penn State, it's a whiteout against a team like
0: Michigan State. Spoken like two true Penn State grads. Though I would have to agree, having come to visit you know, during my th- time in college, it, it is unlike anything else. It I had my really folks out it's last special. year. Neither of my parents are big college football, even college football people at any level, but they. They were like holy bleep! That was amazing. So it'll be a lot of fun for Michigan before we get there. Of course, Northwestern. Yep. No one's overlooking the Wildcats. They're two and two. Tough loss uh, in Camp Randall against Wisconsin, thirty-three to twenty-four. But they hung late. To me, you know, this gets at the point before Penn State played Ohio State last year, and everyone was asking Franklin, like, "Hey, what do you take from that Wisconsin tape? Like, the Badgers yeah. really played Ohio State tough?" He goes, "Nothing, because Wisconsin runs entirely different schemes than we yeah. do. They're built very differently. And you know, while they gave Ohio State some trouble, there's nothing really." there to see if you want to look at their last game and say okay what did Wisconsin do to you know kind of beat up Northwestern well they did what they always do so I think when you look at this team and you want to assess what they've done you kind of look back to their previous games they blew out Bowling Green bad loss at Duke and then they opened in in a tight contest with Nevada which they won at home but for the most part they had the most returning starters in the Big Ten same head coach same quarterback for the last two plus years you kind of know what to expect from this team
1: You do. And Brent Pry talking this week, he said, you know, you look at Northwestern and he's used the term formationally, that that's what they do. Their formations, a lot of movement, that that's where they could potentially throw Penn State's defense off a little bit. Um, But Penn State trying to stop Justin Jackson, I mean, that's something that Wisconsin had a great deal of success doing. So, certainly that'll be something to watch this weekend, too.
0: And I think when we've talked about, you know, when Northwestern has the ball, you know, Ryan Buckholz told us right on Tuesday about their game plan. We want to get first quarter sacks. We want to get first quarter stops. They have been a lot of point in the first quarter of this season. So, you know, you always want to do that on the road, but right. generally speaking against this team, when your best players are running back and you're featuring him and the skill position players outside of him aren't really that impressive, you put them in passing situations and let the likes of Shaka Tony, Eater Gross Sharif Miller go to work. Pence could have this game in the back early, but that's going to be tougher said you know done oh yeah
2: yeah for and, sure and even if they don't bring him down even if they don't get to him bring him down for a sack just pressuring thorson is huge because you look at clayton now northwestern like you mentioned they're two and two they've only played four games so far this season clayton has five picks four of them you know two of them came against wisconsin two of them came at duke he's thrown a couple picks against the two comp really competent opponents that northwestern is and if the defensive ends of guys like tony if you know Sharif and, sure. and those guys can get pressure even if they're not sacking and they could force him into a turnover.
1: And think about this, too. The last time Penn State was there, 2015, Grant Haley, the ending of that game was as brutal as it gets for Haley. You know, he has the one ball, hits off his chest that would have sealed the game with a pick, then gets beaten on the next play. Of course, Wildcats come down, hit the field goal, win the game. If Grant Haley has a chance to get his hands on a ball.
2: He's not missing it.
1: He's not missing nah. it. I mean, that's he's become such a playmaker for this defense, and I think that would really kind of be a nice way to see this kid's career kind of come full circle. Yeah,
2: And what's interesting, too, there is Haley obviously already has two picks this season. Mm-hmm. Penn State hasn't had an individual defensive player have more than three interceptions since 2008. Liddell wow. Sargent had four.
0: And he almost yeah. had three if he, you know, that replay hadn't been overturned in right. Iowa. Yeah.
2: So this is a perfect opportunity for a guy like Haley and even Amani Oraria, who has two as well. You know, yeah. one of those guys to take another step to kind of break that that drought, per se, for Penn State.
0: And we'll get more into the secondary later because, of course, again, we we mentioned at the outset, this starts and ends with Justin Jackson. Right. So if mm-hmm. you're Penn State, you know, you feel like you've got good matchups on the outside. Flynn Nagel is a crafty guy who's um, second for them in terms of receiving right now. Garrett Dickerson, you know, if you're listening to the broadcast, get ready for for the term super back because that's what yeah. Northwestern Deans yeah. are kind of H-back tight end that's what Dickerson plays he's kind of a matchup problem for linebackers and safeties not a
1: fullback, a super back yes. right, right. <laughs> Aren't just they to the clarify one he, in the does, he does
0: super things <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dickerson can and will be a problem for them I don't know if he's quite the level of a game wrecker as we always hear at Penn State yeah. through that term around we've got to isolate these guys and make sure they don't hurt us but he'll make steady gains and this offense you know, is a bit more spread than I think you'd expect from you know typical yeah. Northwestern but the way that they play to try to get him in space out in the flats, ultimately the ball out of Thorson's hands quick. And that also means finding Justin Jackson because, like I said, you know, the, the weapons on the outside aren't that impressive. So we'll see how often Penn State rolls down an extra safety into the box. Um, they work on disguising a lot. So if Dickerson, you know, doesn't have a big game, Jackson has not been as explosive as he was a year ago, then I don't know how well Northwestern is going to be able to move the ball uh, unless it's on these steady gains that we saw Georgia State and Pitt have earlier in the season. And how
1: do they play from behind? You know, that, that's. Yeah, kind other of Thing because yeah. if you jump out ahead of these guys early, uh, a lot of teams struggle from behind. But I think the way Northwestern's built, I don't think they'd be able to overcome. Like we saw last week with Penn State. I I don't think we'll see 28 points in the first quarter, 14 from special teams. But if you're playing from one or two scores behind, you're going to have an uphill battle against Penn State.
2: Yeah, and and from the sounds, of it, you know, it sounds like Justin Jackson has been dealing with just you know some you know nicks and some you know nagging injury throughout the season. At least talking to Teddy Greenside of the Chicago Tribune a couple of days ago about that and. You look at it, too, and... Like I mentioned before, with Clayton, you know Thorson kind of struggling, you know throwing a couple of picks against the two mm-hmm. competent opponents. Well, Justin Jackson has 109 rushing yards against about 121 against Bowling Green, but he was held to seven, you know, 18 yards on seven carries at Duke, 25 yards on nine carries at Wisconsin. It, you know, we'll see how he does against another competent defense and, and see what you know see
0: what he can do. And they've got a couple other guys on the outside. McConnell Wilson's got some speed, but in terms of what you've seen through four games, it still comes down to Dickerson Nagel a little bit. Jackson and, and, you know, Thorson of course pulling it all together. So I think you're right. right. You know, Jackson's down at the full go. Big advantage for Penn State. But they need to start fast. Defensively they've done that. Offensively it's been a little bit more inconsistent over the last couple of games. Um, You know, which is shocking to say after a 28-0 first quarter against Indiana. But, you know, some of those scores were afforded by short fields. The other ones came on special teams. And then we saw a scoring drought of 25 plus minutes, which we don't need to rehash. But ultimately, it's not a stretch to say that might happen again against Northwestern because of the status of the tight ends and the right side of the offensive line
2: yeah and look I think the biggest thing with Penn State is you mentioned them getting some you know shorter drives and all that kind of stuff which is nice for them but I think it's on the road it's going to come down to sustaining drives Yep. And while we haven't seen, you know, we saw them struggle a little bit finishing those off at Iowa. That's going to be a big, big thing to watch. Um, however, when you look at the drives that Penn State has put together this season, those long drives, you know, they have nine scoring drives of at least eight plays and 60 yards. And on those drives, McSorley has completed 79 percent of his passes for 327 yards. So he can lead the sustained drives. It's just a matter of finishing those off on the road at you know, Ryan Field.
1: And that's been that's been an issue for the offense. There's no secret about it. No. There's no hiding it. They haven't been able to have those long drives, and they, we also haven't seen you know the receptions of 40 plus, 50 plus yards like we did last year. Obviously, teams are playing them a little bit differently. I think kind of going back to your original point, Johnny, about in the opening about Trace McSorley, people freaking out about it. Let's not get too picky about how they score, how often they score. Yeah. They yeah. score, they score. Sure, you'd like to see sustained drives but that's also not exactly what this offense is, you know? And that's, I think, kind of the the balance because it's not your traditional Penn State or even Big Ten, you know, run the ball a hundred times and grind out the clock. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, get a fullback in there, power through there, two tight ends. I mean, that's not what this is.
0: Two fullback mentions in 17 minutes. You are on fire. New (laughs) record.
1: But I mean, I I think that's just something that we're going to have to kind of, fans are going to have to continue to get used to. But yeah, don't criticize them too much as long as they're putting points on
0: the board. And here's the thing. I think the best part about this team you know if you're anyone involved with the program is the fact they've shown they've been so versatile they can hurt you in all three phases the special teams have been outstanding and offensively mm-hmm. if they're just able to be patient they know they can get those steady gains like the big, oh, yeah. the big plays have been there by the way that they measure them you know it's not doesn't have to be 30 plus yards doesn't have to be you know 20 right. plus on the ground but it, they've been able to meet those measurements they're obviously scoring enough points and I think for me though again the issue you know we always talk about the offensive line generally the right tackle position has been a revolving door. There, you see yeah, Chaz Wright, yes. Andrew Nelson, Will Fries took first team snaps in there uh, practice along with Wright, and again Mike Kosicki, you know, getting her he was at practice on Wednesday, wasn't wearing shoulder pads. I'll, I'll just put he this out there, there myself. Yeah. yeah, he was there. That was no accident. Right, yeah. Everything there is very carefully scripted and put together when the media is, is introduced and in allowed inside the gates. I don't think he's going to play. I think we'll see another rotation between Fries and Wright. Um, and, you know, again, Wright didn't play really the whole second half against Indiana outside of that first drive, which tells me it might even yeah. be still the same rotation where it leans closer to Fries than it does Wright. Any disagreement there?
1: No, and I think you look at it. And if you have three right tackles and you don't have one, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. And the fact that Franklin said this week, you know, well you guys aren't always privileged to everything that's going on there. Well, Wright's banged up. You could see him banged up at Iowa. I was watching him warm up. Actually, almost bumped into him in the tunnel. He had his right ankle heavily taped. So, he's not 100%. Maybe, perhaps, he tweaked it. That's why we didn't see him in the second half. Right. Maybe last Which week. Which
0: Franklin kind of alluded to, because I asked right. him about that directly. You got an indirect answer of, listen, we don't so, talk about that. And, reading between uh, the lines. read between the lines, right. Yeah,
1: yeah and you know, you see Jaziki get down on the field. He gets up. uh, um, presumably it's something to his midsection, you would think, just kind of the way he was carrying himself getting off the field. Um, If any guy has a midsection injury, they're not going to acknowledge it. We see this in the NFL all the time. Not at all. um, Because teams are, of course, then going to target that area. So I'm with you on that one, Andrew. Franklin said he thinks he'll play. um, But also, if you get out, you're rolling. Do you really need Mike Cazicchi to play? Probably not.
2: And looking at the offensive line, that right tackle spot, you know, james franklin said in his press conference that you need all five you need all five mm-hmm. offensive linemen you know you, you can't have three you can't have four you know it, it, it only takes one weak link on an offensive line to to really you know have it be a detriment to the team obviously that spot really really bothered penn state you know at iowa uh with the strip sack and then the yep. you know yeah. mix McSorley of like getting hit while he threw for that josie jewel interception and it, it just yeah i mean look i, I wouldn't be surprised if it's fries that it starts you know right tries to get in there but you know it, it is obvious that that right is banged up, and I don't. Expect. And
1: Andrew Nelson, at this point. And Andrew I mean, Nelson, this, is, yeah, this yeah. is a tough
2: spot for this it, kid to tough. be in. For all he's
1: meant to Penn State, all he's gone through with you know back to back season ending injuries, he wants to be out there. Matt Limegrover said, you know, this has been a tough year for him. Yeah, just and because it hasn't he been. Such a good tough
0: physically, I mean, it is. Anytime you go into rehab, but just yeah. mentally, not being able to be out there, wanting to, knowing that you have an expiration date fastly approaching mm-hmm. on your college career, and here he is leading workouts in the off season, doing everything he can, saying all the right things, and really being role model for the team except you know out there on the field which is difficult to do uh we, we haven't seen him recently you know who knows if and when we will for the rest yeah. of the season but they've been counting on him and and obviously can't now due to you know, the situation they've had a right tackle moving backwards a little bit McSorley versus Northwestern secondary to me is we'll get this more into the 3 one breakdown later but Godwin Igwe Buque is going to be in consideration for All-American at the safety spot. Very, very good. All he had is an interception this year. Force fumble, fumble recovery, second on the team in tackles. They rotate a lot with their safeties late. I think, again, the way that they play, it's going to force McSorley to be patient and take what the defense gives you, which is an easy thing to say. And they really got tested at Iowa, but still, that only led to 15 points up until the last four seconds of the game. So, is there a sense that he can be patient again or this might be more trouble given they trust their guys in the secondary to stay back and and rotate late
2: to be honest i think it, it, he did it at iowa and and you know like, like you said they didn't score as many points i think that just came down to finishing off drives and scoring the red zone i think i think he can do it again i don't think he'll have much problem now is northwestern secondary better than iowa's probably, yes, probably. yeah so uh, but at the same time you know i think now that they've kind of experienced what they've experienced in, in defense is trying to keep everything ahead of them and making them for sure like This isn't a shock to them. They know going into this game that that's what they're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that, you know, whether it's finding, you know, Barkley out of the backfield, whether it's, you know, uh, just not dinking and dunking your way downfield, but, you know, checking a little bit, uh, I I I think they'll be fine.
1: And speaking of checking, one of the things that James Franklin said this week with McSorley was that he needs to do a better job adjusting the protections, that this kind of falls on him as well. And just going back to what you're saying about the O line and getting all those things correct. They've got to get those checks lined up, uh, pre-snap as he kind of goes through his reads, all those sorts of things. But, yeah, do they have the patience? And the other thing, too, when you have a high-powered offense like this, and they're on the sideline for, you know, a sustained amount of time, you can tell they get a little antsy. I mean, I think most most teams do when they don't have the ball in their hands. Um, but, yeah, dink and dunk isn't exactly what you want to see from Penn State, but... Go for it. I mean, that's what you have to do. That's what they're presenting. You've got enough playmakers out here to, to be able to go out and do that.
2: And getting Barkley through the, the tackles and, and him picking up yards to the tackles will be key there too. Right.
0: Now this leads into my first matchup. We'll get into the three, two, one right now. Three matchups, two concepts, one bold prediction from us apiece. Mine is going to be McSorley versus that secondary because you look at Montre Hartage, is their number one corner. He'll be an all Big Ten consideration certainly by the end of the year. I already mentioned Igwe Buoke. You know it, it's really going to be interesting to see not only the separation Penn State's wideouts can get because at times it was a problem against Indiana, another good secondary, yeah. um, but it's just a matter of you know McSorley who has so much on his plate pre and post snap not so much from you know a calling plays or audibles perspective in the normal sense but as you mentioned the, the the protections changing the direction of a particular run and then making the post snap rpo decisions because this is a team that plays a lot more zone coverage than they saw against indiana and i don't think they're going to change on a dime so how well is he reading and then perhaps predetermining hey i'm just going to throw this up to Juwan johnson or Deshaun hamilton which of course you know he's admitted has gotten him into some trouble he's done a lot Less of that lately um, but, but will that tendency Kind of crop up If they need to play On third down or you know It's a tight game late And they're kind of Pressed a little bit
2: yeah, I mean, if we're going through our matchups now, yeah, yeah, my I was would, McSorley versus right. Johnny yeah. just yeah, took a nap. No, no, <laughs> welcome back, so, welcome. Man. I just want to make sure we were we were going through this thing. So, I mean, for me, I'm looking at the Penn State defensive line against Northwestern's offensive line, in particular, getting after Clayton Thorson. You know, against Wisconsin last week, Northwestern led up eight sacks. That's that's less than ideal, and and I understand that playing at Camp Randall maybe plays into that, being behind a team like Wisconsin plays into that. But like we were talking about earlier. Northwestern is probably going to be playing from behind against Penn State, mm-hmm. and when you're doing that, you're throwing the ball, you're trying to make things happen, and that leaves you susceptible to sacks, leaves you you know susceptible to obvious passing downs, and we've seen what guys like Sharif Miller and Ryan Buckholtz, and how frequently and how how much Brent Pry loves to blitz and disguises blitzes, and just gets after it. I think that's, you know, defensive line specifically against Northwestern's offensive line, but then also just the North, you know, the Northwestern's offensive line's ability to Kind of shut down the front four and then deal with go
0: ahead go ahead and deal with those blitzers. And that's a good point. Before we get to your matchup, yeah. there's something I forgot to mention. You know, when Northwestern has the ball, which we led with, their right side of the offensive line was picked on a lot in their big loss to Duke. Not so much from you know a matchup perspective, but a lot of the blitzes at Duke ran were to that right side. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, always when they were in the field or the boundary. It was pretty strictly to that right side where they obviously felt there was a weakness. This is a group that has a lot of experience coming back from last year. But again, it wasn't really a strength, and that's where it's gonna, you know, need to show one on one matchups, but also from a scheme perspective, it'll be interesting to see how Penn State attacks it. And I would bet you're going to see a lot of pressure on that right side.
1: Yeah, and my my matchup, the much-anticipated matchup... That's why we're all here. uh, Oh, yeah. ...is, you know, Penn State's front seven against Justin Jackson. We talked about him so much, and, you know, Penn State's run defense, we've seen it time and time again. They're going to continue to rotate... All those guys in there give you 10, 11, 12 guys a game up front. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me so far this season is... Do
0: you get the mascot in there with 12 guys, or what's what's going to happen? I know
1: uh- What well, depth-wise, yeah, let, let's get the <laughs> oh, okay. wildcat That's,
2: what, <laughs> the that's my, my bold is, uh... prediction.
1: The piccolo player from the band lines up a defensive tackle. <laughs> uh, no, but just kind of going back in there that Parker Cothran, Curtis Cothran, those guys have been such reliable, such reliable forces for Penn State, and Brent Pry even this week said that, you know what? This is how you kind of grow your defense from inside out. And you look up the gut for a run defense. You've got the Cothrans in there, then you have Jason Cabinda in the middle. I think Penn State should have a pretty good day with their run defense, regardless of how many players they rotate in there. Maybe the Piccolo player, maybe not. Yeah, a little, uh, but a I, I, little <laughs> Yeah, but we saw the tackling issues earlier, earlier this season, but give Penn State credit there. I think the defense has gotten better with the tackling uh, as of late, but Jackson will definitely, he can test you out that way too.
0: hmm I would agree. Only three missed tackles. We saw upwards of 10-11 in the first couple of games, but only three against Indiana really shored that up. Uh, On to two concepts. This is uh, my area, so I'll go really quickly. One, when Northwestern has the ball. They love their outside zone. Uh, Ryan Buckholz told us on Tuesday it's more of a stretch play. They'll also run some pin and pole, which is a run we talked about, um, you know, after Pitt and and after Georgia State. This is a run Penn State should be familiar with. It's it's hurt them a little bit early on in the season. They they cleaned that up. But it's something that you'll see a lot from Northwestern and Coa Farmer, you know, Even on that same day, Tuesday was telling us, listen, you know, or or Wednesday, excuse me, that basically formationally, you can cut this down to two or three plays that they're going to run, which you could say about a lot of different offenses, but when you're an offense it's kind of, we've got our bread and butter and we're going to stick to that, a la in Iowa again, they play a little bit more spread than the Hawkeyes that outside zone is going to be one of those options almost every single time, so if Penn State can get out on the edge, blow up when you'll see typically, you know, when they run this pin and pull with, with two pulling offensive linemen, that'll be the heads up that this is what they're running, if Penn State gets a handle on that run, they're going to have a, a really good day defensively. When Penn State um, is now back in in coverage. I, I think the other part we'll watch is how successful are they in man coverage because again they're going to walk into this just like they did against Indiana outside of semi and say we feel really good about our matchups you know we can play back man up maybe throw in an extra man in pressure um, or or a robber over in the middle and kind of sit there because if they can't get separation that'll give the front four all the time in the world to get after Thorson create more pressure if they do separate a little bit more than expected you know then you'll see them bounce back and forth And, and I think Northwestern will have them a little bit off balance which is of course what they want but going into this you know The the back seven should feel very good about their individual matchups, and if Penn State succeeds in man coverage, again, they should be on their way to a very good day. All right, one bold prediction apiece. What you got?
1: Bold prediction. Start off that I say I think Penn State is going to come away with at least four takeaways in this game. And look at, yep, that's right, four, count them, which is also the number of spotted cow beers I hope to consume during (laughs) this trip as well, Four. Just four? Just in one net.
2: Okay. Uh, for me, my prediction is that Sharif Miller has, I'm going to say two and a half sacks. Uh, not he,
1: three, not one, two and a half.
2: No, two and a half. He, yeah. he had two against Pitt. Uh, I think what Andrew was saying about the man coverage that... Mm-hmm. Penn State's going to run, you know, in in that back seven, how they feel pretty comfortable with that. I think the front four is going to be able to get after Thorson in, in obvious passing downs and when Northwestern is most likely behind. And I think Sharif Miller is a big beneficiary there.
0: We're going to see at least three fumbles. Northwestern has forced 10 through four games. We've talked about, you know, Penn State's ability to jar the ball loose themselves. They've had a really good fumble luck so far, only losing one out of five offensively or on special teams and then defensively recovering seven out of eight. I think both teams are going to get after this ball they're going to have success who that bounces toward i don't know but at least three times you're going to see that ball hit the turf and it's going to be up for grabs and really you know if you're northwestern and you have some good fumble luck in here i think that Mm -hmm. could really sustain you late especially if you're sustaining drives offensively and kind of chipping away um at the lions and I think that's something that's been underrated a little bit, too, just in that fumble luck because, yeah. you know, they've been dominant so many games they're not getting into, what was the difference here? It's like, well, yeah. they were better. <laughs> yes. yeah. Very simply in they all three won phases. They four touchdowns. But, <laughs> you know, when, when you aren't so lucky, you aren't at home, I mean, those things play such a large role. And even if it is luck or chance or a bounce of the ball here or there, they've been getting them so far. What What happens when they don't?
1: And that's what successful teams do. I mean, it's kind of the... As the very inspirational message used to say at my young youth batting league clinic success is the crossroads between hard work and opportunity uh, that, is so that is some in deep the ball. stuff I'm gonna let it slide because if it's you get
0: throwback Thursday as we record this here for a Friday episode That's that um, right. <laughs> sounds
2: like something on like a like a teacher would hang up in like their third you grade you can tell it got master. me very
1: far guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. very,
0: far. <laughs> very good alright well we're gonna slowly wrap up here with the mailbag we got three questions this week uh, which we always appreciate and we always appreciate of course you guys finding us uh, on Twitter or the message boards and on iTunes again the ratings and reviews have been outstanding please follow Find us there. Uh, Continue to give us some feedback, good or bad. We'll we'll take it all the same. Leading off, what are our impressions of Shane Simmons so far? It seems like we haven't seen him flash as much as expected.
1: I think that's fair. I I definitely think he's a guy that I expected more of at this point this year, and I think we all did. And you look at kind of the rankings and and all those sorts of things, recruiting rankings, and just how high up they were on him when he got here and I think that's all still valid. I mean, people forget he's still a young guy in the grand yep. scheme of things, yep. you know. I think it's easy to kind of take that for granted. But they feel really good about their defensive ends and they've felt really good about it. All year, so I don't really think it's an area for concern per se, but kind of look who's ahead of him. But I, I thought we'd see a little more of him at least on the field at this point.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you 100. percent You know, it, it's not a concern. He's a young mm-hmm. guy. It's look, they have a lot of defensive ends. They have a lot of guys that they're working in. You know, they, they have a lot of options. So it's not like it's not like they're desperate and leaning on him to be a number one guy, and he's just not performing. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's getting his snaps here and there, but. You know, I th- think we'll come along.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, I like this question. It's the last one we have for the mailbag. How much of your own juice will you be bringing to Evanston for the 11 a.m. local kick?
1: Bringing with me or bringing home?
0: <laughs> we That's should get. The we, we've juice. already hit yeah. on the spotted cow. All you know, big a lot of fans. juice.
1: A lot yeah. of juice. That is my spotted cow beer from New Glarus Brewing Company. I'll give them a shout out. That is my favorite beer on the planet, and you can only get it in Wisconsin. So I'll be flying into Milwaukee, making the drive to Chicago. Bring in some juice of my own and maybe bring some juice So you'll be tailgating
0: Alan Abbotson. <laughs> no, yeah, no, sure. no, 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 not that.
1: Friday
2: night juice, lots of it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll put it this way. So Sunday, you know, I'm not coming back till Monday and staying with my friend out there in Milwaukee. And he's like, all right, we've got all these different bars and breweries mm-hmm. we've got to go to on Sunday, watch some football. So I think all the juice you know, consumption will be left in Milwaukee, but... Yeah, so that's spotted Cal, though. I'm pretty, pretty pumped. All
0: right, well, here's what I've got for my juice coming to Evanston. I'm also staying in Milwaukee, so it'll be about an hour plus drive down right. to Evanston on Sunday. Not too we're, bad. We're going Red Bull in the cereal. We're going <laughs> windows down. All the way to Evanston. What are you listening to? In the air tonight on go. repeat. You can hit the drum solos. Drum solos. I don't care if I'm in the middle lane and we have a ton of traffic. I got to get that thing out there. So if I don't make it, just know I had too much juice. Uh, and you know, on, on the <laughs> a lot way of down. Juice. But no, I mean, we everyone's got to get ready. Media that typically means coffee, and I'm not a coffee guy. So you got to you got to figure that out. You, you got your
2: diet Mountain Dews. That that's your. Yeah, you're too. a yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. DMDs. Yeah.
0: Well, it's contagious to you. You've it is. It mean, really is. Too.
2: I mean, I, the other day I came back and. I had two six-packs of them I'm like well here, here's my beer run
0: it's, it's we actually kid you not gave them a shout out on a pod a couple of weeks ago and I paused and was like Sean is is that okay to have an unofficial sponsor without their consent and he was like yeah I mean they're not paying us so you know we're just kind of giving them so free so Spotted uh, Cow maybe, maybe will sponsor us yeah I mean you, you, that'd be pretty dope uh, I think you would pay them to let you sponsor that <laughs> that's true um, that's it didn't true. be in any commercials but um, this about wraps up episode number 28 lines 24 7 podcast we'll get you out on this bye week coming up we always have to think ahead a little bit in the industry and what we're working on long term in addition to what's right in front of us what are you guys working on that we should look forward to uh reading in the next couple of weeks
1: I've got a story coming on James Franklin and kind of his roots in coaching, but also people are saying that maybe we don't give him enough credit for his sense of humor. And I think we started to see that a little bit this week. Yeah. So kind of a, a deeper dive on Franklin that I started working on this summer. So hope to have that um, either during the bye week or right after the bye week.
2: Cool. Yeah, the next few weeks uh, I'm going to be having, it nothing is set in stone as to when it's coming out, but being oral history, of the 1982 uh, national title team, 35 years. Uh, Ooh, nice. This year is the anniversary of I guess so. I have already talked to you know the, the Todd Black ledges, the Greg Garrity's for the story, so it's coming along.
0: Good. Thirty-five years. What uh, anniversary is that? I always get those mixed up. You know, like the the, the gold, the diamond. Ooh, the, I have no
1: idea. Longer oh. than you and Fitz were. I on was going
0: the reason I asked is because I will never see that anniversary <laughs> with Sean the way he's been acting up and leaving us here midweek on <laughs> the Friday episode. But you know what? As far as seeing other people has gone so far, I have quite enjoyed the experience. So, uh, we will, we will, <laughs> we will, what's up? Yeah, you up later? <laughs> um, we will talk to Fitz. He will be back on Monday to recap Northwestern, talk about the halfway point through the season uh, on Monday's episode. Episode of Lions Twenty Four Seven Podcasts. I thank you both for coming on, and Absolutely. we'll see you guys all in a couple of days.